So this morning, um, talking about hope in Luke chapter 1, we will be going, kind of skipping around through all of it, but we're going to really land in verse 67. So if you want to find that, that'd be great. But we're gonna, I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory. And typically speaking, I would stand up here and I would read kind of what we're going to go over today. But I'm going to kind of wait on that. I'm going to kind of give you the backstory of what's happening first. So when we read it, it isn't like just something that you just hear. Okay? So uh, outline this story. Um, first thing, it's going to start off with this guy. We're going to be introduced in Luke chapter 1. We'll be introduced to this guy named um, Zechariah. Okay? Um, Zechariah, we learn that he is a priest, okay? He's a priest, and he's got a wife. His wife's name is Elizabeth, all right? Those are key things there, uh, and it is very pivotal to, uh, to the story, all right? So his wife's name is Elizabeth. Now, they, they say, it says in the Bible that they are advanced in years, which really just means that they're old, all right? So they're older people, and they have no children, Um, Now, you might be like, man, it's because they're old, but don't get that confused because really they were barren, they were unable to have children from when they first got married and throughout their entire life. Now they are advanced in years, still unable to have children. Um, But Zechariah, very faithful dude, he always, he kept doing his priestly duties and so so much that if you look back uh, in Luke chapter 1, uh, in verse, I apologize, um, uh, verse 6, it says, They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That's huge. So you have these two people that are unable to have children, but still walking blamelessly in the Lord. Now, uh, <clears throat> their history, usually they have this idea um, uh, that uh, if you didn't have children, then you didn't receive a blessing from the Lord. So there was this kind of this, a little bit of tension, if you will. They always felt like maybe they weren't allowed to have children or they were, wasn't um, gifted to them. But we are going to find out that it just hasn't happened yet. Okay? So it was definitely considered to be a blessing. Uh, so remember now, though, Zechariah was a priest, and that's kind of a, a big part here. So... I want to take a quick survey of who Zechariah is again, just to kind of reiterate. All right, he's a priest, he's considered righteous, he has no children, and he's advanced in years. So comes a time when it's, he's doing his priestly duties. We're going to see this down if you're following along. You can see this down in verse 9. He's doing his priestly duties, right? It's his turn. He draws, he gets chosen to be the guy, the priest that's going to enter into the holy place and light incense. All right, so this is something that uh, the priests did from time to time. They had uh, certain groups of priests that would enter into the temple, and then they would get chosen out of those priests which priest got to be the incense man. And this time, it fell on Zechariah to do it. Now, if you could see this, now, has Zechariah, do you think, as I've just outlined, just that quick, brief uh, introduction of Zechariah, do you think he has a lot of control over what's going on in his life right now? So he has... He's, he's a priest, right? That's a chosen thing. He has no children. It's not like he chose that either. He's tried. He's asked God plenty of times. Him and his wife, Elizabeth, have asked plenty of times for children. And now he's being chosen to light incense. 
okay, inside the holy temple. Um, and that's where things go a little, bit, uh, a little bit interesting. So if you're still following along, I would like you to uh, go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Because something pretty remarkable happens to this guy, Zechariah, when he enters into this holy place to light the incense. He happens to see an angel, and this is what it says in verse 13. The angel says to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah sees this angel um, so if you could think about a little bit of a scenario here, he sees this angel, right? Never quite seen this vision before. He, all of a sudden, this angel now is talking to him, telling him he's going to have a child, right? I don't know about you, but um, I have not quite seen an angel. Um, but uh, I would imagine it would be something worth listening to if I did. Um, but Zechariah um, had something different. You continue to read uh, in verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How do you know this? For I am an old man and my wife advanced in years. Okay, so he kind of just goes back to this angel and goes, I don't, this is craziness. I'm old. I can't have a child. There's no way this is going to happen. And you're telling me I'm going to have a child. And I'm just going to tell you right out of the gate here as we go to read the next set of verses here. Probably not a great idea to just call out an angel, all right? Especially the angel of the Lord, because it might get a little bit crazy. So listen, if you want to read with me in verse 19, it says, And the angel angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time, okay? So, this guy, Zechariah, gets a little bit of a rebuttal. He gets a little bit, uh, he gets a, a little bit uh, a smack in the face, if you could say the least. Now, it's really interesting. Zechariah is one of the few people that has got a chance to actually speak with an angel, right? And this happens to be Gabriel. And Gabriel, He is making his presence known. He's like, oh, hey, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I'm telling you this. And then Zechariah is like, ah, what do I do? You know, you got to imagine, like, I, I, you got to imagine his, just his personality. Like, when I read this, I see uh, a, a person going, I'm just, I'm doing my job. I'm trying to serve the Lord. And then this angel's telling me something. And like, that is craziness. I'm not going to be able to do that. And then this angel rebukes him. And he's like, you're going to be silent. And he's like, oh, is that real? <clears throat> and he notices that he can't talk. So it is now a physical action. So not only did this angel tell him what was going to happen, but actually gave him a physical proof 
that now he was actually heard a prophetic word from God. And that is huge for us. So he is mute. He can't speak. So the people, while he's in there trying to light incense, right, there's people that are praying outside the temple. If you keep reading in the scripture, I'm just kind of paraphrasing it for the sake of time. But there's people that are outside the temple praying, right, and they're like, where is Zechariah? Like, he's been in there a hot minute. Like, where is this guy? And he comes out, and he's, like, trying to talk. He's trying to speak with his hands, you know. And some commentators even think that maybe he was deaf as well. That's, the scripture doesn't exactly lead into that until a little later on. But nonetheless, we know that he was absolutely mute. But he's talking with hands. Think about what happened if you had your mouth just shut and you could not talk, like you broke a jaw or something along those lines, right? You physically couldn't make any noises, any, any actual words, wouldn't you be like grunting and maybe kind of like trying to like be like, oh no, you know, pointing at things, trying to figure out, trying to communicate with people. So all of this, and when he comes out and he's talking and trying to talk with his hands, people are like, oh my gosh, he saw a vision in there. Like whatever, whatever Zechariah saw was something that was real. And he did see a vision. The vision was actually true. It was an angel. Furthermore, he has physical proof. We said that already. And he has nine months now of being mute. Because now uh, the angel Gabriel said, you will be mute until all this comes into fruition. But his wife isn't pregnant quite yet. This just happened. So now he's like, I'm going to be mute for nine months. Later on, we see that... um, As soon as he leaves the temple, he goes back home, and then his wife does become pregnant. So I want to just have this this story in our head, because there's this guy, Zechariah. He has all of this, like, uh, Old Testament scripture. He's a priest, so he's very well versed in his Bible, right? So he has all the prophets. He's got Genesis. He's got Isaiah. He's got all this stuff going on in his head. He cannot communicate any of it. But it never said that he, like, lost faith, right? It just says that he was mute because he didn't believe in what the angel was telling him, right? Um, if I ever see Angel Gabriel, I am going, I hope I listen. I don't want to face that music. <clears throat> but nonetheless, so what I want to do is a couple of things. I want to jump to verse 57. So we're going to skip a whole chunk and. And uh, I'm going to, because we're talking about Zechariah, there's a whole chunk in there talking about uh, Mary speaking with Gabriel again. There's a whole chunk in there talking about how Mary and Elizabeth end up getting together and babies jump in wombs. And there's a whole bunch, there's miracle after miracle that happened in the beginning of of Luke's um, gospel. I encourage you to read them. But for us, I want to continue on with Zechariah's story. So let's jump down to verse 57. Okay? Down in verse 57, we're going to see that the time now has, gone, has come. Nine months of Zechariah being mute has come to an end. Well, not quite yet, almost. But John is born. The baby is born, okay? Um, Now, if you remember from what what Gabriel had said, um, he said he was going to be born and his name was going to be John. So in this uh, this time, everybody in the city where Elizabeth had the baby, everybody in the city was super excited that Elizabeth was pregnant. 
You know, you think about a community that gets together when somebody's pregnant, you start throwing parties, baby showers, things along that line, right? Super exciting. So it comes to a time where they have to name the child. The baby's born about, you know, a few days later. Um, it comes to the time where they're is going to be circumcised, and they have to give him a name as well. So everybody in the city is sitting there, right? And they're sitting there going, what is this going to be his name? It's got to be Zach, right? It's got to be Zach, because it's got to be Zach, Zach 2 or Zach Jr. or something along those lines, right? Because Zachariah just had a kid, and he was advanced in years, so he, and now they have a baby, so you have to have, and, that's, and that was tradition as well, right? You would have the, the first son of, of the father would usually take on the, uh, the father's name. Um, and Elizabeth goes, his name is John. So in this, you have to kind of understand, maybe there, there's a little bit of a grasp we have to hold on to, is that somehow Zechariah communicated with Elizabeth that, the son's name is going to be John, but she goes, his name is John. And everybody in the crowd's like, what, are you crazy? What does John mean? That doesn't mean anything. John's just a, a name, John. Like, that's whatever. That means nothing, right? But they turn to Zechariah, and they go, what's his name? And he's scrambling around and finds this pad. It's obviously, probably not paper. It's probably a couple of stones or something along those lines. But he jots out the word, his name is John. And everybody is floored. And they're like... Even Zechariah wants to call him John? What does this mean? And at that moment in time, the prophecy of Gabriel was fulfilled. And uh, it's, it, uh, it actually gives me a little bit of chills because I, I want you to, to, to rest in how mute, what mute is like. What not being able to communicate is like. The thoughts that possibly had gone on in, in Zechariah's mind, right? He's thinking about like, what, what would you do if you could not talk? Maybe you can listen, maybe you can't, but what could you do? I mean, you wouldn't be able to communicate. Wouldn't that be a lonely place? But also, wouldn't it be beautiful at the same time? Because you'd have an opportunity, because you can't talk to people, and you can't communicate, so you're almost like, I don't know if it's even worth trying, or some things like but you have this opportunity to stop for a moment, like we do in the prayer confession, and stop and listen to the Lord. Pray, read your scriptures. Like you have a moment of just peace and silence. <clears throat> when we talk about Advent, we talk about the the coming of Jesus. And what this does is it leads us to praise. And I want us to read together in today's passage, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. It says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. 
in holiness and righteousness before him in all days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So I read that like a story. I read it as if it was just kind of like Zechariah is just kind of like going, yeah, his name's John, and then he's kind of like, and by the way, it lists out of all this stuff, right? He lists out this whole story. But can you imagine now, Zechariah's lips are able to work. He's able to proclaim. Do you imagine the joy and excitement, right? It says in here that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and what did the first thing he do? What is the first thing that he said? He said he blessed the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That is huge. And one takeaway I want us to remember when we think about hope. We may have hope in other things, which we'll get to a little bit later. But Zechariah's hope wasn't in the fact that he had his voice back. Right? Like me, I might say, oh, I'm really happy I got my voice back. This is great. Right? That's irrelevant. His hope was, he, it was, he said, blessed be the God of Israel. He gave all accolades to God and none to himself. He wasn't happy for himself. He wasn't happy for other things. He, was, he gave God the praise. And that is huge. His first utterances after being mute was praise. The next is going to be, it has to do with his excitement, all right? And this does get a little interesting on how this all works, because you think about his, this, this pent-up excitement. He's got all, like I said before, he's got these scriptures running through his head. He's, he's been praying. He's been mute. He's, he's got uh, nine months to think about this, and nine months is... For me, a long time. I know some of us have a hard time. Joel mentioned the other day how many of us like open the microwave when there's two seconds left, right? That's just like, it's one of those things like nine months is a long time, all right? But you have to read these words thinking that he was excited. You have to see that for, for some of us, uh, like, I want you to see, like, what was exciting. For some of us, it might be a birth of a child. Some of us, it might be, you know, a, a great job interview, um, but for him, or for him, it was the coming of the Lord. Zechariah talks about God that visited when coming out of Egypt in verse 12. So this is where he's, uh, he's the excitement. So there's a couple of things going on here. It says, uh, <clears throat> it says in verse 69, or I'm sorry, in 68, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished the redemption of his people. And has raised us up a horn of salvation. So this is a couple of things happening here. He is remembering. So if you think about somebody who's really excited, you remember things from the past and you kind of bring them also into the things that are happening now, right? So he's remembering the, uh, his people coming out of Egypt in Genesis. 
Uh, that's Genesis chapter 12. He's enthusiastic, right? He's getting a chance to see. He's like remembering the fact that God has brought his people out of Egypt. And he's also seeing that Jesus is going to be born. So there's a lot of things that are happening here. It's like uh, the fulfillment of these prophecies are taking place. He's, it's, 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 it's working its way out in his, before his own eyes. He can see the new king who is Jesus that is coming, right? He says the horn of salvation, which is a conqueror. So this horn of salvation, I want you to know, is not like a trumpet or anything along those lines. This would be a horn like a bull's horn, okay? Like if you think about a horn on an animal, it has power. It's got, it's got, uh, it, it brings forth victory, all right? I think about um, uh, like a, a bull's horns, right? These things are pretty violent. But in the same sense, you think about Jesus uh, being king and, these, and the people of the time, they were looking for their king. They thought their king was going to be coming through the line of David and that king was going to have, you know, wielding swords and he was going to be almighty, right? So this horn has got this symbol of being very, very powerful. And it comes out of the Psalms of what David said in Psalm 18, if you're a note taker. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3, David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So you have this idea of this king coming in, and he's wielding this, 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 this horn of salvation, okay? It's, it's very powerful. Uh, um, it could be powerful just actually in offense, but actually in defense a little bit as well, right? Because if you see somebody with like a giant sword, you might not want to mess with them, right? They're going to they have the, the bigger stick, I guess. So you just want to you, you would avoid them. But in this, in this thing, in, this, in what he's saying, remember, he's, being, he's really excited. So he's bringing up a lot of stuff that happened and all of the, the prophets that were proclaiming the coming of the king. And he's seeing it played out right now. And you also have to remember that at the time, Zechariah didn't have a complete, full understanding of what it meant when the king was going to live on the earth. He didn't know, he didn't know that, the, that the, I mean, he had some instances in, in the Old Testament, but he, it wasn't a common understanding that the king was going to have to suffer and the king was going to have to die on a cross to save the lost and rise again three days later. That wasn't something that was like on his forefront of his mind, but he knows at that point, though, that the king is coming. This doesn't make Zechariah's, like, his utterances here null and void. It does make them, though, speak to the coming king, who is Jesus. And why is this? So if you look at verses 72 through 75... He does this to show mercy toward our fathers and remember his holy covenant. Uh, the oath which we swore before Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So that might bring up a couple of thoughts in, in, in what maybe that comes from. So the whole idea here is to serve the Lord without fear. And this comes from um, the oath that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18. It says, 
And he said, and the Lord said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And your offspring shall be all, shall all generations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now this was Abraham when taking his son up to uh, sacrifice him, his son Isaac, right? The Lord stopped him, provided a ram for him um, in, uh, uh, instead. So in this, the Lord says, I by myself have sworn... Right, so he's telling these. He's telling this whole uh, concept here, and being filled. Um, he's bringing up everything that he's been proclaimed from in the past, and bringing it up forward to him right now. Zechariah is filled with the Spirit, saying uh, that when it comes to him, as the Spirit leads. So you have to remember that as the Spirit is leading him, he said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. These words are coming to him, and these remembrances of all the utterances of the, the promises have, are coming to fruition, and he's speaking them, right? He's remembering God, the rock of his salvation, the house of David. Zechariah is pointing to the new king, and he is pointing to Jesus. So, in this, there's, I, I was listening to a, a couple of speakers, and one of them was John Piper. And I, um, I wanted, uh, there was one thing that he said that I thought fit very well here. It said, God had the view of the whole world, but aimed to get at the whole world by coming through the nation of Israel first. That is a, a really tight, consensus way, because in, uh, culturally, Israel was thought that the coming king was just for them. Okay. Um, and in some cases, if way you can look at it is it really was. So Zechariah was super excited that this coming king was, was, was just coming for them. But that's not the whole story. The whole story is that the coming king was for the entire world. If, moving on into, uh, now we get down to uh, verses 76. 76 is where it starts, where Zechariah talks about his child. So all of this that he's been saying up to right now has been proclaiming to God about God, right? He has been talking about the joys and the excitement of, of, uh, of God, and now he's getting a chance to look at his son. And he says in verse 76, And to you, O child will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. Nine months ago, Gabriel told Zechariah in verse 14 through 17 what was going to happen. He told him who, the son was, who his son was going to be. He told him his name was going to be John. He told him that he was going to prepare a way. And now it's all coming to fruition. It's all coming to be real. Right, and in fact, this was prophesied before in Isaiah. If you look, if you take notes, you could write this down. Isaiah chapter forty, verse three through five. It says, "A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight the desert, a highway of our God. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain hill and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain." And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh 
shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he said he was going to be a prophet, right? Zechariah said he was going to be a prophet of the Most High. It's pretty pretty aspiring place to be, I would say, right? Pretty, pretty big. But you have to think, think about it a little bit. So John the Baptist is a prophet. Um, of a prophecy, of a prophecy, of a prophecy, if that makes any sense. So he was a prophet. He said he was going to be a prophet of a prophecy from Gabriel, right? Of a prophecy of Abraham, <laughs> Or I'm sorry, not Abraham, of a prof- uh, prophecy of, um, of, uh, of Isaiah. So, and Zechariah, Zechariah is also prophesying that his son is going to be this in, the, in a way, right? So, but Zechariah, if you think also, since being a priest, he has studied all the prophets. There has been 400 years of silence up until this point. Silence from God, from any other prophets, right? There has been silence. And now his son that was just born is the last one. The last prophet before Jesus. Like he is, going to, he is going to be the prophet of the most high. He is the last one before the coming of Jesus is born on this earth, right? That has got to be huge because they haven't heard really any prophets in 400 years. So the excitement here is still all about Jesus. He is super, super excited. I know I get weary in 10 minutes, um, but 400 years is a long time without hearing any prophetic words. But when you get the chance to look and say, I think Zechariah, if I can use my imagination a little bit, I think Zechariah would look at his son and go, son, you are going to be the prophet of the Most High. This is the last, this is the last prophet. This is it. He's, gonna, he's, going, to, he's going to make the path, or, or he's going to be the one that goes ahead of Jesus to help Jesus. And that has got to be amazing. It's one that will bring the promise of fulfillment of the salvation. It's also in this section right here, I want to just, I want to reiterate to you that this section also, even though it's talking about John and Zechariah is really excited about John being born, it also puts a little bit of a hierarchy, if you will, or they, we also know who's in charge. We know that John the Baptist isn't coming to do all this, right? We know that Jesus is going to be the one that's coming to do this, but we see that John the Baptist has a huge a huge role to play in the sense that he is going before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give this people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. He is providing explanation, right? And if you go on into, into Luke chapter 3, which I encourage you to do this week, you could look at John the Baptist's life, right? And he, what he gave, like, he was telling tax collectors, hey, don't overtax or don't take money. He told you know, uh, he, he was t- telling people what to do, but he wasn't the salvation. The salvation was from Jesus. So he was there to prepare, and that in this story that Zechariah sees that, and he knows that he, even though John the Baptist is a really amazing character, he's going to be an awesome child. He's going to be a little weird. He's going to be living in a wilderness for a while, eat locusts. But also, 
that John is not the salvation that Jesus is. Lastly in here, we also see that it ends with the tender mercy of God in verses 78 and 79. And I hope that we can dwell on these words, right? It's because of the tender mercy of God with which the sunrise from uh, on high will visit us and to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So we were talking about hope, okay? So hope, what is really, what is hope? So hope is the confidence of faith. You can hope in anything, right? You can try to hope in anything, right? You, I hope that maybe Publix has Chick-fil-A sauce when I go there because I think we're out. But what am I, if I really hope that Publix has Chick-fil-A sauce, I'm putting my hope in Publix or I'm putting my hope in some person or I'm putting my hope in something that is... Not really what comes out to nothing. But that hope can be very fleeting. So hoping in, in, it's hoping in something else. Zechariah, this song that Zechariah was singing, it was a hope of faith, right? In his words that he spoke, you saw in the very beginning of it, if, you, if you're caught on to it, he was speaking in the, in the past tense, because he was acting as if all this stuff had already taken place. He was singing about the hope of faith, the hope that saves, the hope that redeems, the hope that forgives, and the hope in something that is the only hope that we have, which is in one thing. So, <clears throat> what does that mean? We can hope in things of this world. We can hope in things of other people. But really, Jesus is our only hope. The only hope that we can have, the only hope that's worth listening to, is the hope that is in Christ. He gives life. So what is our response to this? Our response to hope has to be praise. Because if hope is true, just like Zechariah, and we see that he, for a long time, for all of his years, he hoped for a child. It never happened. And finally it did. A little bit of a rough start there where he kind of didn't think that uh, the angel was true. But he saw, he physically was mute, so then he knew that the, that the angel was a real really happened to him at this moment and then he was mute for nine months what did he do his hope was not in the fact that he got his voice back his hope was in the fact that of of the of the lord and his hope led him to praise and for us that's what that's what we have this advent season when we think about the coming of jesus right jesus is is coming to the earth being born Took him a long time to finish his ministry, you know, 30-some years, finish his ministry. For him to die on the cross, that, and rise again, that hope should bring us life. That hope in Jesus should bring us praise. In fact, it needs to. We praise because it was spoken about in the prophets of old. We praise because it actually came true. 
And that's why we know it's true. Just like Zechariah, he saw an angel. Angel told him what was going to happen. He was like, meh. And then he was mute, and it came true. And now, and now he has nothing to, left to do but praise. He was like, that stuff is not fake. That was real. And this Bible that we have is real. This is Jesus being spoken about from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Revelation. We get to see the entire story, but we get to see the hope of the pointing to the Christ, the entire book of the Bible. It was spoken about in the Old Testament. It came true. It was recorded for us in the New Testament. So if it was spoken about and it came true, we have nothing left but to hope into what's, what's really happened. That leads us to praise, right? We can look at this as just a bunch of words inside of a book. We really can. But this is the, this, these are the utterances of God in here. These are the utterances of God that are pointing to himself, explaining who his character is, explaining who he is, prophesying to who he is. And then it came true. So what do you do with that? I mean, the only thing we can do, right, is the only thing we can do is, is, is hope, is hope at the next coming of Christ. The only thing we can do is praise God because without it, without it, he's given us salvation. Our salvation is hope because without, without Jesus, there is no salvation. That's where we're going to end today. I encourage you to um, read through the rest of Luke, and especially in chapter 3, to learn more about John the Baptist and what he did. Just do a, a study of John the Baptist. He's a really interesting character. It's not just a character in like a novel. He's a really interesting person that actually lived, that actually did some kind of weird stuff, but amazing things as well. Right? Baptizing people, seeing doves. It's pretty awesome. He did, John the Baptist did what was prophesied back in Isaiah, what was prophesied through Gabriel, what was prophesied through Zechariah, and he actually did what was prophesied from way back in the Old Testament. That has got to be awe-inspiring. That has got to be praiseworthy. Uh, let us pray. Uh, God, thank you this, for this morning, Lord. Thank you uh, for your scripture that is outlined for us who you are. Um, thank you for, um, thank you for Jesus coming to this earth. We think about this time when when the birth of Jesus, and it's not just a baby, Lord. Jesus was not just a baby. Just like we sang, it's God's heart in his chest. So God, will we leave here today being hopeful of what's to come? Hopeful that, uh, that this Jesus that was born actually came true. Hopeful of the salvation that we have. And overjoyed and excited um, for the salvation you have given. Be our strength. Be our hope. And Lord, may we praise you today. In Christ's name, amen.